0: So this evening, <coughs> we take a look at the Parsha of Tetzaveh. Uh, Bigadol, I think the, the way that Turuma and Tetzaveh are most uh, helpfully divided, <coughs> is that Truma deals with matters relating to the building of the Mishkan, while Tetzaveh transitions more to talk about the De Kuhuna, at least the first half of Parsha's Tetzaveh, which is the half that we will be f- focusing on this evening. Having said that, (coughs) the opening two psukim of Parshas Tetzaveh are not yet Bigdei Kahuna, even though that is generally the description of the first half of the Parsha. Rather they relate to the lighting of the menorah, or receiving oil for the lighting of the menorah. And let's read the two psukim, and then we will discuss what needs to be discussed. So the first Pesach states, <laughs> You, Moshe, will command B'nei Yisrael, <laughs> and they shall take to you Shem and Zayis Zach, <coughs> pure olive oil, <laughs> right, pounded, that is to say, beaten, uh, so that it's acceptable for for the lighting, produced as it should be, <laughs> in order to raise up the the ongoing or the continual light. Menorah, basically. (coughs) Second pasuk. Be'o'al-mo'ed. In the moed, the meeting, mi'chutz la'paroches. Outside of the paroches, that is to say, not inside the Kodesh HaKadoshim, but rather on the other side, on the outside of the dividing curtain. Asher el Ha'idus, the paroches being uh, on the testimony, Ya may Hashem, Aaron and his sons, each one in their turn, will uh, uh, set it up and arrange it before Hashem from evening to morning there are some so <coughs> these are the again opening to Psukim, and there are a number of questions quite different from each other that are worth raising. Firstly, the two opening words of the parsha, veatatitsa ve, which translate literally as and you shall command. The problem is that you can say exactly the same thing in one word. Namely "Vitzivisa." Vitzivisa means and you shall command. That's how pronouns work. Uh, or more correctly suffixes I should say. Um, visa, sorry, is in the same way that everything else that Moshe has been told to do has been with the one word, Vosisa, ve And mean, who's ever meant to do it? It doesn't say Vatataase, Vatataase. Vosisa, that tough at the end, that suffix, is you. It denotes the second person. So, in the same way that it's, we have all over Parsha's Truma and not Vatataase, so Vitsivisa would have sufficed even without Vatatitzave. The word Atah is actually redundant. We know, of course, Moshe's name famously is not mentioned in Parshas Tetzavah. That may well be. But that uh, even so, having established that, the one word Vitsibisa could have been enough. That's the, that's the first question. And these questions are all raised by the Kliokar. Secondly, what are these two Psukim doing in this Parsha? As much as they seem to be in place, after all, this is about the Mishkan, and these are mitzvahs of the Mishkan. But they're not in place, because this mitzvah, these pardon me, these parshas are about the building of the Mishkan. We do not yet discuss the various details of how the mitzvahs within the Mishkan are to be performed. Thus, for example, you will not find in these parshas that you shall take. Uh, spices for the uh, ketores k- 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 and should do the following of them in order they should be brought on the mezbah. And it doesn't say that you should take um, flour for the lechem him and deal with it in the following way in order. Those are things that will be discussed later on, each one in their place. And as such, it does seem to stand out that we seem to digress or take a couple of psukim to give space for the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. Why is this mitzvah different than all other mitzvahs? Uh, Of the mishkan, that is to say. And what makes the matter somewhat more uh, accentuated is that it's not only that we have prematurely discussed the mitzvah of lighting the, the menorah. We chose to discuss it here. It's actually discussed in full later on. In the end of Parshas Emor, Chumash Vayikra, the end of Parshas Emor, the end of Emor deals with the mitzvah of lighting the menorah and the Lechem Aponim, for the Shulchan. So it's actually worse than just uh, bringing a posuk or a mitzvah earlier than it should be discussed. It is actually discussed later on, which means that the entire discussion here seems to be redundant. Furthermore, we find <coughs> that uh, not only does the Torah uh, command to bring the, the, the oil for the lighting, it goes out of its way to then remind us where the menorah is. In other words, the first pasuk is basically take the oil for the lighting of the menorah. But then the second pasuk, pasuk kaf aleph Gives us a, a very detailed description as to where where this will all take place. It's in the Ol Moed, okay, in the Mishkan, But on the on the outer side, right, of, of the parochas, not inside, Asher al HaEdus. The parochas being uh, on the Edus. That's where all of this should take place. We know where the menorah is. This was discussed in Parashas Truma. If you wish to now describe what shall be done with the menorah, so be it. But if you think that we've forgotten where the menorah is, so then we have a problem, because we haven't. And this is all discussed in Parshas Trum. So why the geography, the the specific description of where the menorah is? And finally, it's noteworthy, (coughs) if we are talking about the lighting of the menorah, how how is that referred? The final words of the first pasuk, l'halos ner Tamid," In order to raise up, that is to say to light, the ner Tamid, the continual light. Okay, and that means that uh, the, the, the lighting of the menorah is called nertamid. I mean, that's that's all we say. As we know, there is more than one light. The menorah has seven lights. Seven neros, <laughs> And yet, the posuk chose to refer to it in the singular as N'ertamid, tamid, just the one. Now, one could say that this is completely acceptable. You know, very simply, in, in grammatical terms, Lashen Kodesh will often refer to the many with the usage of the singular. So, ne'er could really mean neros. It could. Hadliku es haner. Even if there's a number of them, that's, that's acceptable. The problem is, when we compare it <coughs> with the end of Parshas Emor, which is where the mitzvah of lighting the menorah is discussed, this is in Perik, Vayikra Perik Kafdalid Pasuk Dalad, Al HaMenorah HaTahorah, on the pure menorah, Ya'aroch Es HaNero, Lifnei Hashem Tamid Ya'aroch es ha which means that the to- when the Torah wishes to refer to the, the lights, it calls them the lights, neiros. So why here does it only, or choose to refer to it as ner? These are some questions, and again, it's, it's, it's all the more valuable to pay attention to the opening uh, two verses of the, of the Parsha, because we could very easily pass them by on the way to the quote-unquote main topic of the Big Day Kahuna. But as we see, there is quite a bit to contemplate here. And the Kliyakar explains in classic fashion as follows. The reason why these two psukim are mentioned in the beginning of our Parsha and the Parsha is not yet dealing with the mitzvahs of the Mishkan, it's still dealing with the building of the Mishkan, or what we could call the Mishkan itself. The reason why, says Kliyakar, is because these two psukim are actually relevant to the building of the Mishkan, to the topic at hand, to the Mishkan itself. Why do we say that? The Mishkan is referred to as Mishkan Ha'edus. And Mishkan Ha'edus means the, the Mishkan of the, of the testimony. Testimony about what? Well, that might depend. What exactly is the Mishkan testifying about? Well, uh, Rashi famously says that it is testimony that Hashem forgave the Jewish people for doing the Egil. Eidus shivit alahem al ha'egel. Okay. It could be more generally Eidos testimony of the unique connection between Hashem and the Jewish people. Because the, there is one entity where this concept of testimony is localized. There is one entity that resided within the Mishkan which is actually called adus, and that is the Luchos. The Luchos that were put into the Aaron are the basis, they themselves are the quintessential testimony of our relationship with Hashem. And that's why the pasuk calls them the Eidus. In the beginning of last week's parsha, it says, What shall you place into the Aaron, Place the Eidus into the Aaron, referring to the two Luchos. So again, just to be clear in terms of how we're uh, understanding and formulating, the Mishkan generally is called Mishkan Ha'edus. But what it testifies to is localized specifically with an entity which is called the Edus, namely the Luchos. <coughs> There's just one problem. And it's somewhat ironic. The goal of Adus of testimony, I think one could say, is to testify. How does an entity testify? Well, presumably, uh, whatever message it projects, if it doesn't speak, then by seeing it. I mean, that is what we would call living testimony. The problem is, the living testimony lives behind a curtain. There is a parochus which sections it off from view, which means if we call it the Adus, from a certain point of view it's not able to function as Aidus, as testimony. It can't testify. Because you can't see it. I mean you know it's there, but if you know, then in any case you know. So <coughs> how does one relate to a testimony that doesn't fully testify? The answer, says the Kliokar, is that the Aron, you can't see it. But it enables something else to happen that you can see. And that now is the amazing partnership between the Aron behind the curtain and the menorah in front of the curtain. Because the menorah you can see. And there's a certain miracle that accrues to the menorah. And that miracle is only possible because the divine presence res- resides among the Jewish people, as is embodied in the entity called the luchos. So it's almost like the, 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 the menorah, this miracle within the menorah, it, it, it spreads the message of the Oran, of the adas that's in the Oran. And therefore, says the Kliyakar, there are really two aspects to the menorah. On the one hand, there is the mitzvah of lighting the menorah, which is an avoda. It's an avoda like bringing Lechem upon Him. It's an avoda like offering the Ketorahs, each one with its special contribution. But that's the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. The mitzvah of lighting the menorah is not... Something that we are discussing now. Because we're not dealing with the mitzvahs of the Mishkan. We're dealing with the building of the Mishkan. The only reason why we mention the menorah at this stage, at this uh, crossover junction between Truma and Tetzaveh is because it's germane to the topic of Truma, namely the building of Mishkan Ha'edus. And if it's the Mishkan of testimony, there has to be testimony. It's localized in the Luchos, but they're behind the Oran. But they're in the Aron behind, behind the curtain, behind the Paroches, And that's why you need some visible expression of this Edus. And that is the menorah. All of the menorah? All of the lights of the menorah? No. Only one of them. Because only one of them burnt miraculously. The, what's called the Nirmah Maaravi, the middle light, or uh, however one <coughs> understands where the Neer Nirmar- Maaravi was. And this, says the Kliyakar, is the difference between the menorah as discussed in our parsha and in Parshas Emor. Parshas Emor is the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. Just like you'll find the mitzvah of Lechem Haponim there, you'll find the mitzvah of lighting the menorah. And because the mitzvah applies to all seven lights, that is why in Parshas Emor, when it discusses the mitzvah of lighting, it says, yaroch es Haneros in the plural, because the mitzvah applies equally to all seven our Parsha is not yet talking about the Mitzvah of the Lighting. It's talking about the testimony of the Lighting. The testimony is localized in one light. And that is why our Pasuk doesn't talk about the Neiros. It talks about the Neir. lahalos Neir Talmud. We see how, how these two Parshas are, are working together. Ish al-Makomo. Each one for, for its own topic. And it's for this reason, says the Kliokar. That the pot, the second pasuk begins by reminding us, quote unquote, where the menorah is. Where is it? It's in the oil moed. It's outside the paroches, which is covering the Oron asher ha'edus We know where it is. Why is this being mentioned again? Because this is why you need another element of testimony. Because the actual edus is behind the paroches, but the menorah is michutz uh, Paroches. and that is how it's able to fulfill this function of projecting the Eidus of the Luchos. With all this in mind, we come back to the opening two words of the Parsha. We asked, one doesn't need the, the emphasis, one doesn't need almost like to add the word V'ata, The taf at the beginning of Tetzaveh is already enough. That's the second person. That's you. Either Tetzaveh or vitzivisa tells us that it's you. So the Viatom must somehow be stressing further that it's you. But what is behind this? Says the Kliokar, generally speaking, we understand that even if Hashem is talking to Moshe, and says, you shall make this, and you shall make this, v'asisa shulchan, v'asisa menorah. It doesn't mean that Moshe personally has to make it. It's addressed to Moshe because he is charged with overseeing it. But someone else can he can delegate it. He doesn't have to be involved practically at all. And as far as we know, he wasn't. Hashem says to, to Moshe, v'asisa shulchan, you shall make a shulchan. Moshe didn't make a shulchan, B'tzalel did. And that's completely acceptable, because it's given to Moshe to oversee and to be sure that it's done by choosing the most correct people possible. Therefore, the use of the second person doesn't mean Moshe's personally involved, neither does he have to be. But here he does have to be, says Kliakar. With this one particular aspect of the Mishkan, Moshe does have to be directly involved. Why? Because the oil that is going to be collected for the menorah is going to burn in a miraculous way. In order for that to happen, Moshe needs to be involved directly as the catalyst towards uh, bringing that oil to where it needs to be. And that is why, whereas generally asisa means you, and if it's not you, then it's someone else, under your auspices, under your supervision, but when it comes to this oil which will produce the edus, that all for all to see, the Atat you command, you, and, and, and not to deputize, not to delegate, and uh, that is what's behind the, the two words of Atat Tzaveh. So it's really, uh, it's quite, quite an education with regards to these opening two psukim, what they're doing here, why they're phrased the way they are, how they relate to the other aspects of the, of the Mishkan and other discussions of the menorah. That's the Klioka. From here, let us move into the, the realm of the Big de Kahuna themselves, and I would like to devote uh, some time this evening to, dis- to discussing what one can only really call a most fascinating aspect or component element of the Big de Kahuna. And it's to be found in Perik Lamed. Now, Perik uh, pardon me, pasuk lamed. I mean to say, perik kafches pasuk lamed. So perik kafches is describing the the big day kahuna. It actually starts with the special bigodim of the Cohen godol. and devotes quite a bit of attention to the choshen, the choshen mishpat, the breastplate, which has the special stones, etc. And in the conclusion of its discussion of the choshen. In Pasuk Lamed, it states, You shall place towards or in the Choshen <laughs> Mishpat, the Urim and the Tumim. They'll be on Aaron's heart when he comes before Hashem, <coughs> etc. and so forth. So here we have, we're introduced to something that uh, existed or resided uh, with the Big Day Kahuna, and that is the Urim V'tumim. What are the Urim V'tumim? Well, <laughs> Rashi explains. Ha Urim V'tumim. Says Rashi, <coughs> The Urim V'tumim was the Sheyma the special ineffable name of Hashem was written down on parchment. Which would be put in, in inserted into the folds of the Choshen. Right? The Choshen was actually originally twice as long as it was wide. It was then folded over so that it was a perfect square or square. In between the, the folds was inserted this slip of parchment which contained the Shema Meforash, and that is called the Urim V'tumim. What's very interesting is, and we'll discuss details of Mitzvah in just uh, one or two moments, but Rashi already says that the Urim V'tumim enabled B'nai Yisrael To ask certain questions of Hashem. They were able to inquire matters of national uh, urgency, importance, security, whether to go out to war, uh, things things of that nature. (coughs) So it was a vehicle through which to receive messages from Hashem. That's what the Urim Vetumim enabled to happen. And and this would then be expressed in the Choshen Mishpat itself, as we'll see. But what's fascinating is, Rashi earlier along says that it's this role that is responsible for the name Choshen Mishpat. The Choshen is a breastplate which tells you that it was placed on the front of the chest. Just like a hat is called a hat and it's placed on, on your head, and a belt is, is worn around your waist. So the word choshen describes the garment. Mishpat is judgment or ruling. Why is it called the choshen mishpat? No other of the big de kahunah have such an, an association with another term, with a concept. And we're so used to it. Choshen Mishpat, the Choshen is what it is. Mishpat is the concept that it relates to. But how does the Choshen relate to Mishpat? So, Rashi earlier on, uh, when it's first introduced, which is in Posuk Tesvav, Choshen Mishpat, Rashi presents two explanations. The first explanation says, Rashi, Shemichaper al Kilkul Hadin. The Choshen Mishpat atones. For perversion of justice. The background to this comment of Rashi is a, a statement of the Gemara, it's actually in two places, in Zvachim and in Arachim, which explains that each of the eight Bigdei Kahuna, a regular Kohen has four, the Kohen Godel has eight, <coughs> each of the eight Bigdei kuhuna atones or helps atone for in a certain area of wrongdoing whatever it may be the me'il for Lashon Hara the ephod for Avodah Zara the, the, the kasones for shbi each one in its own way however it does that the Gemara goes through each and every one and the Choshen atones for miscarriages of justice perversions of justice again however it does that is the idea that they did things wrong and, and the choshen makes it okay? Is perhaps the choshen a way of ensuring that, that they'll get things right? However it works. But because the choshen is associated with rectifying wrongdoings in the area of Mishpat, says Rashi, that's why it's called choshen Mishpat. That's his first explanation. But Rashi gives a second explanation. He seems to be not content with his first explanation, even though it's directly from the Gemara. Presumably, the reason is very simple. Each of the eight garments is associated with some area. Why is only the Choshen have its area of association mentioned in the Pasuk? The Choshen is associated with Mishpat, and that's why the Torah calls it Choshen Mishpat. Well, as we said, the tzitz is associated with with brazenness or, or haughtiness, so call it something like that. And the avod is, is associated with avodazara. Call it avod, uh, avodazara, or, or whatever you want to call it. But those things aren't mentioned in the pasuk. So, of all of the eight, why is the choshen the only one that has its area of uh, of impact mentioned as part of its name? That's a, that's a fair question. And for this reason, I believe Rashi moves on to give a second explanation of why it's called the choshen mishpat. Davar Acher says Rashi Mishpat. It's called Mishpat. Shemivarer devarav. Its words are very clear. Vav emes. A promise that comes through the Choshen Mishpat is, is, is it will, will always take place. It's irrevocable. It's it's definite. And that's why that's the second reason why it's called the Choshen Mishpat. But to consider that second explanation is completely bound up with the Urim it It is only through the Urim vatumim that the Choshen Mishpat can transmit these messages. These messages which then become Mishpat. If you would imagine the Choshen Mishpat without the Urim vatumim just the Choshen Mishpat, if you could imagine, then, then this element of Mishpat wouldn't exist Because it's just, quote unquote, or it's purely another one of the eight garments of the vestments of the Kohen Godal. But it it doesn't have this element of of giving messages which are decisive and final and, and so on and so forth. So again, to summarize, it's amazing to see how intimately the urim v'tumim are bound into the essence of the choshen mishpat. It's according to one of Rashi's two explanations. It's for them, it's because of them that it's called the choshen mishpat. They allow the choshen to issue forth, or more correctly, to transmit mishpat from Hashem. So this is the this is the uh, explanation of Rashi of what the urim v'tumim is. Ramban concurs with Rashi. Also, he uh, agrees, <coughs> he understands that these are names of Hashem, as Rashi said, that they were put into the folds of the, uh, um, of the Choshen. And the Ramban even goes further and suggests that this, the Urim v'tumim were not even made, were not even written by human hand. They were given to Moshe by Hashem. The reason why he suggests this is because, very simply, the Pasuk never tells anyone to make them. It just talks about them as if they exist. They are an existing entity. The first we hear of them, they're already there. The Torah just says where to put them. And that's why it seems to me, says Ramban, that the, the Urim were not something that was made. They were given to Moshe, and, he was, and the only thing he needs to do is to, is to know where to put them. So says Ramban. So he almost goes a step further than Rashi, concurs in his understanding of what the Urim V'Tumim are, and even suggests <coughs> that, uh, that that they were written by Hashem and then given to Moshe. What, what emerges is to return to, to the idea of Choshen Mishpat. The Urim V'Tumim is that the Choshen Mishpat has two elements to it. Now, that's what's so fascinating about about the Choshen Mishpat. It has two, if, if one could borrow the uh, brisker expression, there's zvei there's dinim within the Choshen Mishpat. There's two dynamics. There's two aspects to it. On the one hand, uh, to use our terminology carefully, it is a, it is a begot like the other Begadim, in the same way that you have a Tzitz, and you have a, uh, the avnate and you have the, the Mitznefes, and you have the Eifod, you have a Choshen. It's one of the eight, and you need it in order to, for the current Gadol to do his avoda. In that respect, it's, it's a Kli, a vessel for avoda. But as we're seeing through the Urim V'tumim, pardon me, as we're seeing through, yeah, through through the agency of the Urim V'tumim, it's also a vehicle for something else. It's a vehicle for receiving nevuah That is a separate thing. That's an additional element within the Urim V'tumim. And in fact, there is a, a very beautiful comment of the Ran. Rabbi Nunissim, in his famous Droshus, and the Ran comments... On the Medrash, the Medrash says that initially, as we know, uh, when Moshe was uh, called upon Hashem to go and act as the redeemer, the agency for, for the agent for Geula, he didn't want to go. He was <coughs> conscious or anxious that uh, perhaps it would cause a bad feeling between him and Aaron. Perhaps Aaron would feel upset. After all. Aaron was the leader of the Jewish people before Moshe was. And the fact that it's easy to forget that is testimony to just what is at stake. Because when we think, who's the leader of the Jewish people? It's obviously Moshe. That wasn't obvious to anyone. And and not even to Moshe. And and, and Aaron was there first. And Aaron is now being asked to step aside. And Moshe is conscious of that. And does not wish for there to be ill-feeling. Until Hashem says, it's a pasuk in Pasha Shemos. Don't worry, Aaron, Ochicha, Halevi, he v'Samach He'll be happy for you. Which is which is an amazing thing. Even without saying Chidushim, just to ponder that moment where 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 Aaron hears that Moshe is taking over, and Aaron is happy for Moshe. And that put Bush's mind at rest, <coughs> and the rest is history. Says the Medrash, Bishar, <coughs> V'roach Belibo, in the merit of Aaron being joyous in his heart. And how many people have had Hashem himself testify as to what they feel in their heart? In the merit of of HaVosomach Belibo, Aaron merited... To, to, to carry the Choshen, as the pasuk says, and then the Pesach Lamed. mishpat Yisrael He carries the judgment of the Jewish people on his heart. He was happy in his heart, and then his reward is that he, <coughs> he, he carries the judgment of the Jewish people on his heart. That's the Medrash. And the Ran asks a simple question. I mean, if, if Aaron is the Kohen godal, and the Kohen Gadol needs these eight garments. So then he wears the Choshen because the Kohen Gadol has to wear all of them. We never find <coughs> any other explanation as to why Aaron wears, let's say, it sits on his forehead. Or why he wears a me'il, that, uh, that, 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 that uh, gown of Tcheles. It's part of the Big Day Kahuna. So, so why are we ascribing one of those eight garments to this outstanding merit of Aaron, that he was happy for Moshe in his heart. If he's the Kohen Gadol, the Kohen Gadol needs all eight. What, there would only be seven if he wasn't happy? I mean, that's what a Kohen Gadol has, these eight garments. (coughs) Says the Ran, no. The wearing of the Choshen is simply because Aaron is the Kohen Gadol. But as we have seen and discussed in in, in previous moments, the Choshen has another element to it. It's a vehicle for Nevuah. None other of the Big De Kahuna are anything other than Big De Kahuna. And that's enough. Garments for a special avoda. And all of a sudden, there is this second dimension within the Choshen, the second element. Not only is it about avoda, but it's also a vehicle of Nevuah. Where did that come from? Says the Ran, That's what the Medrash is discussing. After all, Aaron had given up the the position number one of the Navi, of the Jewish people. It's true. He is now the Kohen gadol, And the Kohen gadol, of course, each one is is special in its own way. It's the, the, the epicenter of Avodah. It is. But he has given up his position as Navi. And he did so gladly and with joy in his heart. In recognition of that, of having of having stepped aside from the position of the primary navi of the Jewish people, that even when he becomes the Kohen Gadol, one of the garments of Kohen Gadolah will yet be a vehicle of Nivuah, and that's the final pasuk of V'nasa Aaron es Mishpat Ben Yisrael al Libo. He he will retain an, an element of Navua within the Urim Vitum. Very beautiful explanation of the Ran. Of this of this medrash, and again highlighting the two aspects within the the choshen, choshen as beged kahuna and choshen as as the, the expression of the of the uh, empowered by the urim vetumim. Now, what do the words urim vetumim mean? I mean, urim sounds like light, tumim sounds like uh, perfection, tamim. What specifically does it mean? <coughs> the Gemara explains. This is the Gemara in uh, Yuma in the 7th uh, paragraph. Uh, says the Gomorrah, Urim, the reason why they're called Urim is Sheme'irim, they illuminate. Tumim, the reason why they're called Tumim is Shemitamim, they finalize, in the same way that when something is Tam, it's complete. So they illuminate and they complete. What does that mean? What is the meaning of Me'irim? They're Urim because they're Me'irim, and they Tumim because they're metamim. In what way do they illuminate? In what way do they complete? And here we have two explanations, two explanations one from Rashi and one from Ramban. Rashi and Rambam are back. This time they explain differently from each other. Rashi explains that the first element of Shem they illuminate, is that, is that they They give forth a message, as the Gemara describes, that the letters of the answer would either light up, because the Choshen Mishpat has all the letters of the Aleph So the letters would either light up, or they would protrude. So so this is a miraculous way in order to receive a message, but by the time they're finished, you get the message. And that's called Me'irim. They illuminate the matter. And not only do they illuminate with their, with their message, metamim, the message is final. And that's where the Gemara says, <coughs> that although, under certain circumstances, if a Navi, an actual live prophet, if he will uh, issue a, a prophecy, it could be revoked. <coughs> Certainly, for example, if it's something bad, as the people do tshuva, the prophecy will be revoked. <coughs> We'd like to think that if it's good, it won't, it won't be revoked, ever. Either way, the Urim the, the a message to the Urim vetumim is final. Metamim, tamim That's it. Tam, it's done. So that's Farashi's Urim vetumim. You get the message and the message is final. Ramban explains somewhat differently and actually raises an interesting shila. Namely, we say that the first thing they do is give you the message. Urim, meirim, they illuminate. Also, the letters of the answer uh, light up, shall we say. Says Ramban, and you have to ask, uh, how do you know what the word is? How do you know what the answer is? You know what letters comprise it, but how do you know how to order them? How do you know how to put them all together? If the answer has ten letters in it, and they all protrude, there's many, many possibilities. So meirim is not enough, and that's why says Ramban there were two qualities here. Number one, meirim, the letters would illuminate, but there was another uh, concept that was required called tumin. You need to finalize. In other words, you need to get you need to get closure or clarity as to what exactly is the order of the letters. Uh, uh, what, what word is meant to be produced from them? Rav Sajigon actually suggests, just apropos of this, that the letters lit up in order. So as long as you remember, or you make a note of it, it should be relatively easy. But it seems from Ramban that they all light up at once. So, you, so the Urim they light up, but you need the Tumim to, to know what to make of it. That's a separate thing. <coughs> and it's actually, it's its own type of Madrego. And that's why the Kohen goddel himself needs an aspect of, of, of uh, Ruach HaKodesh. <laughs> in order, in order to know, he needs to to, to, to allow the tumim to allow him to, to formulate the message correctly. There is, in this regard, a fascinating uh, and famous comment of the Vilna Gon. It relates to the story of Chana, which we read as the haftarah for the first day of Rosh Hashanah, and uh, she was in a very, very uh, distressed situation and she's davening and because she's so distressed she didn't daven seemingly in, in the way that people normally did you couldn't hear her it, was, it wasn't audible just her lips were moving and and, and the pasuk says that ailey saw her and he thought that she was inebriated i mean she, she didn't look like she was davening not in the way that people normally daven and he went and, and he he upbraided her he confronted her serious if, if you've been drinking, why you why you here on the premises of the mishkan? Uh, it's it's not appropriate. And she answers and she says, Lo no, that's not it. I am I'm I'm very very distressed. That's why I'm davening in this way. But she then she tells her, that, and then of course Aili gives her a bracha that her that her prayer should be accepted, and as indeed it was. <coughs> but that was the exchange. He thinks he thinks that she's had uh, been drinking wine, and now she, what, she doesn't know what she's doing. And she says, no, that's not what it is. Lo Adonim, no, know no, my master. That's how the, the Pasuk reads. But the Gemara says, Lo Adonim means you're not my master. It's quite a different reading. Not know my master. You are not a master. Meaning you're not a master of the things that you should be in mastery of. You don't have Ruach HaKodesh says Chana to Eili. Because if you did, you'd know. You'd know my situation and you wouldn't have you wouldn't have wrongly suspected me. Says the Vilna Gon, what does this have to do with, uh, with Ruach HaKodesh? I mean, that's a very uh, heavy concept to, to be bringing in here. It's just a misunderstanding. Uh, but what's it got to do with Ruach HaKodesh? But, the, but the, the Gon says no. You know, the Ramban says further that once you understand that the urim v'tumim are a way of divining a message from Hashem, Ramban further suggests, and this might possibly be the biggest chiddush of the discussion, that it was possible, in some limited measure, to replicate the effect of the the urim v'tumim. That people could could develop their own urim v'tumim. Not on a national scale, that is to say. Not in things that relate to national uh, concerns, but on some level, if it's a vehicle of Navua, and if a person was a, a, a navi, they were able somehow to access the the way that the urim Vatumim works, and and set up their own urim Vatumim and the you know anpin in in miniature. And says Ramban, you find that the city of Nov, which is a city of koanim, was dis, was described as. 85 Kohanim, no say eifod. You had 85 Kohanim there who were wearing an eifod. What are they wearing an eifod for? They're not Kohen Godal. True. But they had, obviously in a way that was acceptable and and possibly even encouraged, mm-hmm. they had made for themselves their own eifod with with an Urvitumim uh, apparatus. And they were able to access uh, information through Navua if they themselves were Nevi'im. So says Ramban. No aphod means you had lower-level Urim ritumim, um, people. And this was the situation, says the Vilna Nagon, with Eili. He saw that Chana was... Uh, he, d- he couldn't hear what she's saying, her lips are moving, doesn't know what's happening. So he consulted his aphod. and four letters lit up. Shin, Kaf, Resh, He. Now the question is, what does that mean? That's the answer. But what is the answer? Or to put it slightly differently, you have the Urim. The appropriate letters have been illuminated or made themselves known, been prominent. But what's the Tumim? How do you put those letters together? What does it mean? Ailey, this again says the gone, wrongly ordered the letters as Shin, Kaf, Resh, which is Shikora, that she's inebriated. And thus informed, he went and confronted her. But it wasn't that at all. Those four letters were not Shin, Kaf, Resh, Shikora. It's kafshin reshe, Keshaira. Or some say kesara. She's like Sara. She's she, she, she's waiting for a child. That's why she's davening. That's why she's... And that's why when he confronts her, sohana says, that, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, but the, the, it, 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 it caused aspersions on that occasion on his Ruach HaKodesh. Because if you're accessing Ruach HaKodesh to find out my matzav, and you came up with Shikora, so the Urim worked for you, but the Tumim did not. I'm not Shikora, I'm Kisara. So says the Vilna gone. Stunning, stunning explanation of that Gemara. And built on the Chiddush of Ramban, that other people who were already uh, themselves Ba'alei Ruach HaKodesh would actually have their own private, so to speak, Urim uh, and uh, if they knew how to do it. Thus far, we've seen Rashi, we've seen Ramban. They both agree what the urim tumim is. They differ somewhat in what the words urim and tumim denote in terms of getting the message kedaka uh, <laughs> shel But someone who caused a good bit of discussion in this matter is the Ramban, and the way that this happened is because. In Hilchus Beis HaBechira, in Perek in the Halacha Aleph, the Rambam talks about certain things that were, that were missing in the second Beis HaMikdash. We know, the Gemara says in the end of the first Parak of Yuma, there were five things that were missing from the second Beis HaMikdash. The Aaron was missing. And one of the things that the Gemara says was missing was the Urim V'tumim. So we spoke... We mentioned beforehand, if you could imagine the Choshen without the Urim V'tumim, indeed, in the time of the second B'shamigdash, the Choshen did not contain the Urim V'tumim. Now, okay, and it was relatively lower level than, than the first B'shamigdash. The Rambam has the following to say. the af Urim V'tumim. Also the Urim V'tumim. Shehayu bebayas Shani they were there in the second base of Megdash, the <speaking in Hebrew> they wouldn't tell you information they couldn't that you couldn't they wouldn't respond to you even if you had <speaking in> recorded <Hebrew> people didn't ask questions of them but they were there but people didn't use them why do i say that i mean the Gemara says they were missing why do I say they were there, but, uh, but unused, or you couldn't be used, in, inaccessible? the I mean, they had to be there, because the Kohen Gadol, if he doesn't have all eight garments, so then he can't do the Avodah. All those eight garments are required. So, so the ur have to be there. They just didn't work in the capacity of ur but they have to be there as part of the Choshen mishpat Now, many have wondered with regards to the, these words of the Rambam. After all, what's the Beged here, that under question, that the Kohen needs to wear? The Choshen. The Choshen was there. The Urim V'tumim, even if that, that slip of parchment is not there, but the Choshen mishpat is still there. That slip of parchment is not a Beged. So even if for some reason it, either it goes missing or maybe the whole Choshen went missing and they had to manufacture a new one, which could be. There's many things they made new for the second base of Migdash, and you don't have the Urim but you have the Beged. The Beged is the Choshen, not the slip of paper. A slip of paper is not a garment. So why, you can, why would you be considered lacking one of the eight garments if you don't have that slip of paper? And that is the question of the rivet. The rivet, as we know, Never shy to raise what he considers pertinent uh, critical questions with regards to the Rambam and though, that's what he says says Rambam says Ravd the idea says the Rambam that without the urmitumim you'd be missing one of the garments no klum it's not so that slip of parchment is not one of the uh, one of the eight garments it's a very interesting shaila uh, who, who could answer on, on Rambam's behalf? Well, it happens to be that someone who answers on Rambam's behalf is the Rambam's own son, Rabbeinu Avram. Rabbeinu Avram ben Rambam, who himself was a towering personality, one of the great Rishonim, and we have his commentary on the Torah, at least to Bratius and Shamos. Possib- I, I don't know if they've discovered uh, uh, subsequently more, but Bratius and Shamos we have. And Rabbeinu Avram ben Arambam says that pe- people did not understand my father's position. Well, he doesn't say it in those words, but he gets, gets to the point as to what the Urim Vatumim are. Uh, the the Avram says, and he, he says this is the opinion of Chachameinu Zal, and indeed there are Gaonim who say this, Rav Sherira Gon, Rav Hai gone. The Urim Vatumim were not a separate entity, unlike Rashi and Ramban. They weren't something that was written somewhere. The Urim vetumim are one and the same as the stones of the Choshen Mishpat. But the Urim vetumim is a, is a quality of those stones. In addition to being Avnei Miluim, right, the stones for the Mishpat, they were also Urim vetumim. So there is no separate thing. It's the stones themselves function in two capacities. They are the Urim vetumim. And if that's the case, so as much as it's a chiddush, but uh, everything that everyone has said so far is a chiddush because we don't, we don't. The pasuk doesn't say what the urim vetumim are, but if indeed the urim vetumim were just another quality within the stones, but the stones themselves are the urim vetumim, so we can well understand why the Rambam says they had the urim vetumim in the second Beit Hamikdash; they just didn't work. Because they must have had those stones in the Choshen Mishpat. If the Choshen Mishpat is missing those stones, for sure the the garment is deficient. And that then answers the question of the Raivad. If it's a slip of parchment, maybe the Choshen is still there without, is still complete as a garment without the slip of parchment. But if it's the stones, if they are the Urim V'tumim, so then they can't go missing. They were there, says Rambam, but they didn't function as the Urim V'tumim, just, quote-unquote, as the Choshen for, as one of the eight garments for, for Big Dekehuna. So this has been quite a, quite a discussion. It's, it's a, a, a riveting uh, topic. The Urim Vitumim, what they were, how they worked, how they went together with the other Big Dekehuna, and what better way to uh, conclude our discussion of the Urim V'tumim. I mean, who could have the final word here, if not the meshechachma? And... He will take us back to the pasuk. After all we have uh, discussed in the Gemara and the Rishonim and so on and so forth, back to pasuk Lamed, Perak Kavches pasuk Lamed. es el choshen es ha'urim You shall place into the choshen ha'mishpat the urim V'ha'yu And they will be on Aaron's heart as he comes before Hashem. And Aaron will carry the judgment of the Jewish people uh, on his heart before Hashem, always. Says Meshachachma. If you look at this pasuk, it very clearly comprises two parts. The first part is the Urim B'Tumim and what they do. And the second is is, uh, once again um, describing Aaron carrying the mishpat of the Jewish people, which is more about the the choshen, the choshan itself. We note that the first pasuk, pardon me, the first half of the pasuk does not use the word Tomid. It says, "You put the choshen mishpat you into the choshen mishpat. Put the urim v'tumim. It will be on Aaron's heart when he comes before Hashem." And does not say Tomid. The second, which talks more generally about carrying the choshen mishpat, ends with the word Tomid. Why is that? Says Meshachachma, if we've been paying attentive to what we've been discussing, we understand why this is. Because there was always a Choshen Mishpat. But there wasn't always an Ur Not one that worked in the capacity of Urm V'tumim. Tamid means always. Whenever you had the big day Kuhuna, you had the Choshen Mishpat. And therefore the second half of the Pasuk, Uses the word tumim. Yes, it's always. There was never a time when you didn't have it. But the pasuk is already foreshadowing the notion that as much as there's a mitzvah to put the urn but it does not attach the word tumim to the description of the urn It might not always be there. You may, um, in the second time, in the second base of as we know, as we mentioned, you had to carry on without the urn It wasn't always there, so there's no tumim for the urn Amazing explanation of the pasuk. And as is his wont, Meshechochma goes one step further. Because the beginning of the Pasuk, <coughs> the first half, talks about the Urmatumim, the, 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 they're on Aaron's heart. The second half of the Pasuk says, Venasa Aaron, Aaron shall carry. Isn't he carrying the Urmatumim? How come that only the, the, the first half of the Pasuk speaks only in terms of location? They will be on his heart. How? Is he not carrying them? It's only the second half of the Pasuk where we have the verb, venosani will carry. Says Meshachachma, yeah, that's exactly right. The first half of the Pasuk, he didn't carry. Why not? Because we've seen other examples of an entity which is so exalted and elevated, it actually doesn't need to be carried. The Aron, which contains the luchos, which is where we started this year, Aaron Ha'edus, the Gemara famously says, not only did the aron not need to be carried, it carried those who carried it. Aron no se es nosav. So it defies the laws of gravity, because its elevation uh, overcomes. It doesn't need to be carried. Likewise, the luchos, which were written, which were, added, were engraved by, uh, by Hashem, the medrash tells us, as long as those letters were there, Moshe didn't need to carry the luchos. When, the, when, when he came, and was confronted with the eagle. As the medrash describes it, the letters flew up. Just after the luchos, they became unbearably heavy. But as long as the ksav was there, you didn't have to carry them. Says Meshachachma, I suggest the same was true for the Urim V'tumim. If you have such a special piece of parchment, which has the Shem HaMaforosh on it, and according to Rambam, written by Hashem himself, so you know what that means? As long as it's in the Choshen, you don't have to carry it. So the pasuk just describes where it is. It's, it's stationed by your heart, but you're not carrying it. It, can, it carries itself. But the second half of the pasuk, which ends Tomid, which as we mentioned, re- refers to the Choshen Mishpat even when there's no Urim V'tumim, if it's just the Choshen Mishpat, so then Aaron needs to carry it. And that's where it says vanasa in the second half of the Pasuk. So once again, a, a, a Pasuk that we can read, but until, along comes the Meshechah and you realize that you, you didn't read it. And then, but, the, but then the good news is you get the opportunity to do so with his guidance. So the Urim V'tumim, as with so many other aspects of the uh, Beis Migdash currently uh, hidden, not available to us. But the Urim themselves are described in the Navi, as he says. Describes the future times. We wait for the time when the Koran will come back for the Urim betumim, And indeed, that is a time that we wait for the to come back from the Urim betumim, and the, the, uh, the Migdash will be back as the center of the Jewish people, and we yumak kolashana shoma wa afwa shamal khaysu walakh u ma khuso we should see that be mahira bi